Hi, this is Randy Landry, and this is my 11th installment in my podcast, Common Sense and Ramblings in America. My blog is common-sense-in-america.com, and this is another article that I'm going to be reading from that I posted um, some time back on my blog. Um, This is a topic that's near and dear to most people's hearts. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about herd immunity. So I am going to try to dispel some of the rumors and give you some facts um, so that you can make your own decision about what this all means. So we're going to begin with a little definition of herd immunity. Herd immunity or community immunity is when a large part of a population of an area is immune to a specific disease. If enough people are resistant to the cause of a disease, such a virus or bacteria, is, it has nowhere to go. While not every single individual may be immune, the group as a whole has protection. This is because there are fewer high-risk people overall. The infection rates drop and the disease peters out. Herd immunity protects at-risk populations. These include babies and those whose immune systems are weak and can't get resistance on their own. So for people like, and for COVID in particular, that seems to hit people more heavily with um, over age of over 65 and with um, higher comorbidity, more comorbidities are people that, you know, are, have uh, more disease processes or are unhealthy. Um, the COVID disease seems to hit those. So if we immunize those people, um, that'll help greatly in reducing the infection rate and the lethality of the COVID virus. So how do we reach or achieve herd immunity? There are two ways this can happen. You can develop resistance naturally when your body is exposed to a virus or a bacteria. It makes antibodies to fight off the infection. When you recover, your body keeps these antibodies. Your body will defend against another infection. This is what stopped the Zika or Zika virus outbreak in Brazil. Two years after the outbreak began, 63% of the population had exposure to the virus. Researchers think the community reached the right level for herd immunity. So just keep that number in mind. We're going to be discussing that percentage in a little bit more detail later on. Vaccines can also build resistance. They make your body think a virus or bacteria has infected it. You don't get sick, but your immune system still makes productive antibodies. The next time your body meets that bacteria or virus, it's ready to fight it off. This is what stopped polio in the United States. And polio was a pretty severe disease. It caused a lot of major uh, uh, side effects. People's lives were ruined because of the polio virus. Um, I remember getting that vaccination many years ago um, with no ill effect. When does a community reach herd immunity? It depends on the reproduction number, or RO. The RO tells you the average number of people that a single person with virus can infect if those people aren't already immune. The higher the RO, the more people need to be resistant to each herd immunity. That's the transmissible rate, basically. The more infectious the disease is, the higher the percentage of people need to be vaccinated or um, have immunity built up. Researchers think that the RO for COVID-19 is between two and three. This means that one person can infect two or to three other people. It also means 50 to 67% of the population would need to be resistant before herd immunity kicks in and the infection rate starts to go down. So remember I said, remember those number, number 63%. So that was kind of in the middle of those numbers. What are the challenges to developing herd immunity to COVID-19? 
The main obstacle to herd immunity to COVID-19 right now is that the virus that causes the disease is novel or new. That means it hasn't infected humans before. Everyone is at risk of infection. There is no existing immunity to build on. Another potential barrier is that we don't know how strong the immune protection is or how long it will last in people who have had COVID-19. Early research on monkeys showed that they made antibodies to the virus that protected them from a second infection a month later. If the coronavirus is like the flu, we can expect a few months of protection. Unfortunately, with a flu vaccination, you have to have that every year because it mutates so rapidly that um, the vaccine you took the year before no longer protects you for the new viruses. So let's hope that's not the case. Though in this particular thing, they've tried some RNA viruses um, or vaccinations. Um, maybe they'll give us more protection. And we're also getting, for several of these vaccinations companies, are, are, we are getting two vaccination shots. So the percentages of coverage is going up. Um, so let's hope that makes a difference. Um, researchers estimate that 75 to 80% of the population would need to be vaccinated before we can have herd immunity. So the numbers and percentages are a little higher because it is a novel virus and nobody has um, immunity at all. Um, why is herd immunity important? Herd immunity occurs when a large portion of the population becomes immune to a disease, making the spread of the virus from person to person unlikely. As a result, the whole community becomes protected, not just those who are immune. Often a percentage of the population must be capable of getting a disease in order for it to spread. This is called a threshold proportion. If the proportion of the population that is immune to the disease is greater than this threshold, the spread of the disease will decline. This is known as the herd immunity threshold. What percentage of a community needs to be immune in order to achieve herd immunity? It varies from disease to disease, like I stated. The more contagious the disease is, the greater the proportion of the population that needs to be immune to stop the disease from being spread. For example, the measles is a highly contagious illness. It is estimated that 94% of the population must be immune to interrupt the chain of transmission. That's a pretty high percentage. That means 94% of the population has either have had it or have the vaccination. Otherwise, it can still spread to the susceptible population. There are two paths, like I stated, for the vaccine, uh, for herd immunity for COVID-19. That's vaccines and infection. A vaccine for the virus that causes COVID-19 is an ideal approach to herd, achieving herd immunity. Vaccines create immunity without causing illness or resulting complications. Herd immunity makes it possible to protect the population from a disease. Reaching herd immunity through vaccination sometimes has drawbacks, though. Protection from some vaccines can wane over time, requiring revaccination, like I stated with the flu. And even pneumonia vaccinations, he has to be um, taken every 10 years. Sometimes people don't get all the shots that they need to be completely protected from a disease. In this case, most of the vaccinations are, you have to have two vaccinations, so it's difficult for people to get both of those shots. Otherwise, <coughs> excuse me, the protection is only like 60% as opposed to 90 to 95 like Johnson & Johnson is only that. So I think Johnson & Johnson will probably end up adding a second vaccination to boost the percentages, but that hasn't been discussed yet, or hasn't come out yet. Okay. In addition, some people may object to vaccines because of religious objections, fears about the possible risk, or skepticism about the benefits. People object to vaccines often live in the same neighborhoods or attend the same religious services or schools. If the proportion of vaccinated people in a community falls below the herd immunity threshold, 
Exposure to a contagious disease could result in the disease quickly spreading. Measles has recently resurged in several parts of the world with relatively low vaccination rates, including the United States. Opposition to vaccines can pose a real challenge to herd immunity. Natural infection. Herd immunity can also be reached, as I discussed, by people already getting infected. But if you're in a certain age group with COVID, that can be quite dangerous. I'm an ICU nurse, and I've seen literally dozens and dozens of people die from this disease because they had comorbidities like hypertension, diabetes, obesity, and they were elderly. Uh, this disease really hammers you. Um, other diseases, um, in most cases, the flu is not fatal, but it can be. Um, and other uh, viruses can kill you as well, but their um, lethality rates are lower. But with COVID, certain age groups are more susceptible, and certain uh, people with certain uh, comorbidities are definitely um, at a higher risk for more increased mortality. So having somebody reach through natural infection, in this case, is really not the best way to get herd immunity. Uh, that's my personal opinion. Everybody has a right to their own opinion. But um, it also appears that when you get the vaccine, the virus, should I say, infection, um, you may develop a longer lasting immune system because that's the more natural way of acquiring herd immunity. But it is also more dangerous. Experts estimate in that U.S. 70% of the population, more than 200 people, would have to recover from COVID-19 to halt the epidemic. That's a big risk, especially when such a high portion of our population has those comorbidities. Um, unfortunately, the United States is a very unhealthy country uh, because of our sedentary lifestyle and our fast food uh, intake is very high. And our junk food intake is very high because so many people work and they don't have time to co cook healthy meals. So, again, that's a very risky way of reaching herd immunity. If many people become sick with COVID-19 at once, the healthcare system could quickly become overwhelmed, and we've already seen that in the beginning stages of our pandemic. How can you slow the transmission of COVID-19? It's crucial to slow the spread of COVID-19 virus and protect individuals at increased risk of severe illness, including older adults and people of any age with underlying health conditions, like I already stated. So how do we do this? Avoid large events and mass gatherings. I know, I know. Um, no fun with that. Avoid close contact. Typically, uh, aerosolized spread uh, through droplet, droplet is about six feet. Um, that's been determined from years of um, practice. Um, stay home as much as possible. Though, if you have a large household of multiple uh, family ages, um, that might not be the best uh, thing to do. Um, because you, people in their own household don't wear masks. If one person gets infected, the whole household eventually will get infected. And I've seen this happen several times at our hospital where the entire family has to come into the hospital to be treated. So if you've got a really large house, that's not much of a problem. But if you live in a small apartment, that could be problematic. Uh, I certainly believe, and this is again my opinion, I am not a doctor, but I am an experienced healthcare provider, that... The outdoors is still your best bet. Uh, fresh air and exercise really will help keep you safe and healthy. Um, Clustering yourself away in a, in a small house with multiple people that could possibly already be infected is not the best way to prevent the virus from spreading. But another thing you can do is wash your hands. Hand hygiene is very important because this uh, virus can spread through not only the nares or the nose, uh, oral passageways, it can infect you through other mucosal membranes. 
um, and you actually have those around your eyes. Um, so if you're touching your mouth, you sneeze and you wash your hands and you touch your eyes, you can get infected that way as well. So you said avoid touching eyes, nose, and mouth. Avoid also sharing dishes, glasses, and bedding. That's kind of hard to do if you have, you know, a couple sleeping in the same bed and the husband is, or the spouse is infected and you're not. Um, so you'd have to sleep in separate rooms. It becomes kind of difficult to do this. Clean and disinfect high-touch surface such as doorknobs, light switches, electronics, counters daily. Stay home from work, school, and public areas if you're sick. That's a good thing to do. Um, and try not to infect other people and stay in your room uh, if you're at home. Try not to have too much contact with your family members. Uh, <clears throat> when will the U.S. reach herd immunity and what will it look like? Herd immunity threshold, even with the vaccination starting, is still a little ways away. Um, the goal is, uh, according to Biden, um, our president, that he would like to have 2 million inoculations or vaccinations per day. Um, and that rate, we would be well over 200 million because we've already had a fair number vaccinated and people infected in the next couple of months. So with those numbers, if they hold true, we would be at herd immunity levels by this summer. So <clears throat> let's see here. It goes through some of this. I'll pause. All right. So as I stated, herd immunity should be reached sometime this summer, um, which is a good news. So people... It will be easier, too, uh, because it's going to be warmer, of course, in the summer months, and we can go outdoors and, and spend some time uh, in the fresh air. And there's several states that are already are uh, letting up on the uh, mask mandate, which will make it more enjoyable to be outdoors. It's hard to exercise when you're breathing through a mask. And I will discuss masks in a few minutes after I spend some more time talking about the next part of our vaccination virus debacle, should I say the thing is, I just I mentioned that earlier that you can have mutations in the virus. And in this particular case, we're calling them variants. They've already had some variants spread, uh, come up from other countries that have infected our country as well. Uh, some One was from Brazil. Um, so the, the problem is, is the variant differently shaped or designed? Because basically how the virus gets into the body is through points of contact in the outside of its um, structure. If those change too much through the mutation or variation, then our body's immune system will not recognize it. It looks like a totally different critter, and that one will get right into our immune system until we have to go through the process all over again. Now, uh, with these vaccinations, so far we've been lucky. Um, the variants have not been... Um, altered enough by the mutation process that they're still not being, our bodies are still not being recognized, are still not recognizing them. So that hasn't been the problem. So we're lucky. But the thing is, we have to reach herd immunity quickly before these mutations become so different that our vaccinations and our immunity doesn't, our immune system does not recognize them. Um, if this happens, we're going to have to start it all over again, and nobody nobody wants that. So again, vaccinations are the best way to do this because, as I stated, the natural way of getting infected can be quite dangerous. So yes, that's our big thing. we got to worry about variants. Okay, so I want to discuss a little bit about masks, okay? The only way to truly prevent a virus from spreading with, with a mask is an N95 mask because it's designed 
to filter out very small particles. And viruses are very small indeed. So think of this analogy. Would you put up a chain link fence to prevent a mosquito from getting into your house? The answer is no. So basically that's what you're doing when you wear a fabric mask or a surgical mask. They are to stop droplet transmission. So how this works is, say you've got a cough or a sneeze, all right? Now a fabric or a cotton mask um, or a surgical mask will stop the force of spread of a sneeze or a cough. So with that being said, the virus can ride that cough or sneeze in the, the droplet form. The, rep uh, the distance that it can travel will be reduced. It can still squirt out through the, uh, the pores in the fabric or the weave, but it won't transmit as far. So that's where the distance comes in as well. So there's been a lot of discussion about if you're six feet, you don't need to wear a mask, but that's bullshit, okay? If you got a cough or a sneeze, you need both, okay? That's my personal belief. And when I work in the hospital and I have patients that are COVID positive, I actually wear a face shield, but this is a bit overkill for your general population because as I stated, they can get, the virus can get into your oral mucosa or edge into your, um, around your eyes. And I'm sure that's how people have been getting infected. Um, so I've been very lucky in that. And I've taken care of several hundred people that are positive with COVID. Um, I now have the vaccination, so hopefully I'm being protected from that um, and virus. But yes, please wear masks until we reach herd immunity. Another one of my concerns is, and this is a pet peeve of mine, is that, okay, so you get the vaccination or you've already been infected. Say you come in contact with a person that has it, okay? So they sneeze on you, what have you. That, if you're not wearing a mask, and neither are they, that virus can now inhabit your sinus cavity, okay? Where it's not going to do any harm to you, but if you go over to another person now and you happen to sneeze, that virus is going to shoot back out of your sinuses onto the new person. I firmly believe that even though you cannot get infected, you can still have the virus inhabit your sinus cavities. It can stay there for days where it's happy, okay? It won't cause you any problem, but another issue with that Say you've been sneezed on and that virus has now re-inhabited your sinus cavity. You get swabbed for the virus. Somebody says, oh, you got to be tested. But oh, I already had the vaccination. You will show up most likely as positive. All right. So say you got the vaccine or say you got infected. And a couple of weeks or months later, you're healthy now and all that kind of stuff. And the virus is basically dead in your body. It's your system has still got to cleanse itself out and you can still shed those viruses out. So you can still test positive even though you are not positive, really. Um, and you can't trans be transmitted. But there's a lot of little areas, gray areas in this. People just don't seem to have a firm grasp of it. I firmly believe you can transmit a virus of covid even if you are immune to it, because it can still hold in your sinuses. So what is the answer to this? I firmly, th I believe in Vicks vapor rub tents. 
That's an old-fashioned way of getting rid of the flu and the cold and all that kind of stuff and helping a sore throat and cleaning out congestion. If you firmly believe that you have been exposed, I would suggest going home and setting up a little Vicks tent uh, because it's been determined that the virus will be killed at degrees greater than 130 degrees. Or should I say temperature greater than 130 degrees. So if you were exposed to a steam and inhale that steam, that'll clear out your sinuses and kill any vi existing virus in there. Um, I think that's a great way of doing it. And it's if you think firmly believe you've been exposed. I mean, if you don't feel like you've been exposed and the person's just had a little hay fever, eh, it's a different matter. This is for people that really, really think that you had it and you got exposed again. This is just to clean out your sinuses, and it's even a good idea to do it if you've already gotten the vaccine, vaccine or if you're immune to it, because you want to get that crap out of your sinuses where it inhabits it. All right, guys, as always, please be safe and try to do what's right for everybody. And that's if you feel like you're sick, stay away from other people. All right, and wash your hands. All right, guys, you have a great day. And until next week, take care.